0: Judgecast. This is episode number 120. My name is CJ Schrader, and with me as always, my two chirping co-hosts. First off, we have Just Dunks. Chirp, 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 chirp. It'll make sense soon. To
1: <laughs> and we have Brian Pillman. I am a world enchantment that gives creatures with flying plus one, plus one. Sarah's, right? AV- Sarah's aviary. Sarah's uh... 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 <laughs> aviary. Okay. Did I go too deep again? (laughs) Yes. All right. We
0: have a very special guest on, uh, the one and only, David Hibbs. Hey, David Hibbs.
2: Hey, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, so on and so forth.
2: Uh, I am a level three judge. I am, as of recently, relocated to Austin, Texas, uh, previously in Houston, Texas, before that. Uh, I have been a judge for a long time, one might say, um, since, the, since the dark ages of judging in some ways, uh, not to be confused with the dark, not that long, um, though I have been playing since the Ice Age.
1: That's so since uh, 94 you've been playing, ninety four, ninety five.
2: That's That's roughly correct,
1: yes. And I think you started I, in... I
2: specifically tried to avoid this game because I knew what it would do to me if I ever got involved with it. And yeah, kind of everybody has their origin story, right? And I walk in one night and my, all my friends are playing with some cards that were handed to them by a friend of the group. And it's been all down downhill since there since then. <laughs>
1: So, so you became a judge. You certified for L one in ninety eight.
2: That's correct. Uh, as I recall, uh, it was the Urza's Destiny pre release weekend, which is, as if my understanding is correct, is also the certification date for when Johanna Vertanen, in in, judge in the North. But uh, I think, but it's a little bit unclear for sure on those because um, a lot of certification dates, formal certification dates, were lost to history at one point. Um, one of the things that we can talk about, but uh, at some point in the history of the judge program, the judge database was updated and everybody's certification date was set to 010101. So we've all kind of had to try to make up what we knew since then.
3: Um, so you, everybody was, so what, like when that happened, did everybody roll back in level
2: two? Like that's crazy. No, it's just uh, the original certification date was. The certification dates were changed. So, oh, so
3: that didn't happen on 10101. It was just that it was back.
2: Yeah, I don't know exactly when that happened, but it was, If anybody's a, a like a software developer who works in SQL databases and knows about bobby tables, uh, they know how easy it is to accidentally make a, an update to more rows than you're intending. Uh, as I understand, great many, many judges in the program are. Uh, obviously that's probably what happened i'm kind of guessing reading between the lines but uh it seems likely that that's what happened
0: so i guess we should talk about the topic of this episode and the topic of this episode is basically the good old days the history of the judge program we're just going to talk about the past um me and brian and jess we've all been judges for right around five years actually uh i think you guys are slightly older than me judge wise Jess.
3: um
2: you, well, you uh, guys were talking about being eligible for the twenty twenty ballot, yeah, right? we
3: all we all sort of certif- we all certified in the same year, which is kind of interesting that we all kind of got involved in in various. Like we certified in the same year, we all have kind of different various judging histories, and we all ended up involved on the show kind of at the same time. It's really interesting, uh, to me how it all kind of coalesced together like that, but. Uh, but we actually haven't been around the Judge Program really all that long compared to Magic as a whole. Right. Uh, Magic's been around so long, and Organized Play almost as long, from what I understand, um, that we just don't know that much about the early days of the Judge Program.
2: Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of really interesting how they kind of started to bootstrap this into into existence. That it, Organized Play has not really been around quite as long as the rest of the program because the you know the cards were just not available uh, for those first few sets that's part of why they're still so valuable today but then once they started the pro tour program then they, they realized hey we've got something and they started building from there and they started recruiting judges from there so um, you know, they, like say they kind of bootstrapped at starting at the pro tour level pulling judges in um, we could talk about that in a, in a little bit but um, th- then they started with the arena program which if I check my notes um, it was what two, 19, 1996. so probably um, three three years after they started or so um, they started bringing an organized play into the into stores or at least trying to. Yeah.
1: Now now I remember I, I took a break in like, uh, the, like right after fifth edition came out and got back into it around, uh, onslaught. But back then prior to like the Urza's, Urza's block stuff, I remember that most rulings, uh, were like card specific rulings. And like, there was this big mess of, of, uh, like individual card rulings that you had to learn in order to properly officiate an event.
2: All right. Absolutely. Um, um, so so that kind of brings to, brings me to kind of the start of what I, what I or at least what I think is a good starting point on discussing uh, in terms of judge history is you know, what does it mean to be a judge? And we as current judges know that at present there are a lot of things you need to know, right? I mean we, we've gone through we've got a list of what 10 characteristics now for level three judge things that you have to be skilled in in order to be, qualified as a level three and those are those are certainly criteria that we want for level threes but they're all valuable as a judge of any level would you would you guys agree with that absolutely so in the very beginning when we start talking you know when we're talking about the early days of the judge program what brian is saying is certainly correct that the first thing you needed to know was the rules and where do you know the rules well uh part of the evolution of the judge program and the game in fact has come along with the evolution of the internet and it, back when they started the game you know the internet internet was just starting um, I, I don't know about you guys' first internet experiences but my first internet experiences were on a modem so uh, the, the days of trying to, to spread news around Electronically at 300 baud to, it was a lot harder than the days of, it, oh my god, I don't have my I don't have my internet connection at home. It's a totally different environment. <laughs> so um, there were you know the D'Angelo ruling summaries would come out posted. Um, rule uh, the the Oracle was a printed copy even up to um, you know the pro tour that I ju- first pro tour I judged in 2002. Um, if you didn't have a printed copy of the oracle, you wouldn't have the be able to make the correct rulings. So it's completely play- changed. There was a lot of things that there were a lot of things that you had to know, just know, and kind of keep up to keep up, keep up to date on because you couldn't just pull them up.
3: I remember my first big pre-release experience at a, a pre-release in Seattle for Onslaught, um, where I was talking to players, and it was this legendary thing. That the judges had a book that had every card in it, and uh, <laughs> and it was like so, like uh, mind bogglingly unbelievable to my new player brain. Um, right.
2: Yeah. That that was called the Oracle, <laughs> uh, and hence why the term the Oracle text has hung around. It's still called Oracle on really. You know, that's on, where that com- Gatherer. That's where that, that comes that was, from. That was the Oracle. That was the original Oracle.
0: So wow. How, how did you get the book?
2: uh well it was a, you could wait for a very long download right. um, it, those of us you know a few of us then later on obviously had access to it because we had you know university accounts and, and internet connections but um, I don't know how you would have gotten it if you didn't have access to that. I have to assume that they printed a copy to send to the events.
1: Yeah, we had to wait for this—that the annual Scry uh, Scry issue where they did the all the Oracle text and all the cards.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's not such a, a big thing now, but if you guys go search for Bethmo on, or uh, maybe I should use for her, her full name, Beth Morrison on Amazon, you'll find that there's a collection of books that she wrote. Uh, several of those being things like the Magic Encyclopedia that has pictures of every card and their card text, and it that's it, just not relevant now when you can pull it up at you know at a moment's notice on your cell phone.
1: So, so that's judging, judging on the floor. So, so when you're on the floor, you have a call about a card. You have to go run to this book, look it up, and then look up the current wording, and then come back to the table and make the call.
2: Yeah, if you needed the yes, if you needed the full text in order to answer the question, then yes, you would have to do that. Or you could always, I mean, even in the early days, the, the trick of pick up the card and read it. Uh, stare at it for a while and come to a decision while you're reading the card was 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 technology even in the early days. Uh, this, that's some, certainly something that has not changed and is still a good practice today. Um, it, obviously, most of the information you need is on a card, hopefully, if you know the rules. So uh, And that kind of comes around to what the first criteria in order to be a magic judge were. So uh, on that note, if you guys are prepared, I have a pop quiz for you.
3: Oh no! Oh wow! I, I think yes. being prepared is is the opposite of the goal of a pop quiz, isn't it? Um,
2: well, I, suppose I suppose that's that's cr- that's also I Um so, so one point uh, to Just Dunks.
3: Yeah, I win automatically. I <laughs> I'm, gonna so say, I'm gonna say I'm really <laughs> gonna say tapped blockers tapped
1: blockers deal no damage. Yeah, I'm yeah. I thought you
0: were gonna say being prepared was the opposite of the goal of a podcast. <laughs>
3: Oh no no no! Oh, I was man. not gonna say that. It feels that way. Yeah, but no no, that's that's not the goal at all.
2: So so I'm I'm going to to pull out of the archives here. Uh, I'm gonna pick three questions from the the very first arena exam and see how you guys do. Are you ready?
3: Oh boy. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: Should we, I'm excited. Okay. Should we answer this this is, possible
2: is I, yeah. And you. remember, I'm going to read these exactly as written. So uh, these are not these are not going to be. You, you know, obvious by under today's rules perhaps. Uh, okay. My opponent casts a fireball. Notice no active player, non-active player designation. Uh, that came later. My opponent casts a fireball. If I respond with a mana short, is my opponent's fireball countered? A yes. Since the mana is gone, the fireball is shorted out. B, no, the mana for fireball spell has already been spent. C, no, mana short only affects untapped lands and mana in a player's pool. D, both B and C. E, no, because the mana short won't resolve until after the fireball uh hold on <laughs> yeah okay so fire
1: fireball fireballs a sorcery mana short is an instant okay one of them was like multiple
2: yeah b multiple... b and c and uh, no it's already been spent and no it only affects on lands.
1: so let me
0: read at least let's say fourth edition mana short. That seems about right.
3: Uh, I, I mean, I'm going to go with no, the mana's has already been spent, but I feel like this is a trap. Uh, it says
0: mana short empties target players, mana pool and taps that player's land. That's the not Oracle text. That's the text as it would have read around that time.
1: Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say it, the, the mana's already spent. I'm gonna go with the way it would work
0: today. So the mana's already spent.
2: Yeah, that's actually correct. The, the rules are still the same. No, no, the mana for fireball has it's, already been spent. It's nervous.
1: one of those things. I know, right? It's like, but with her batches, My first thought was, it's like, it's like, oh no, it can't be cast because you can't respond with the spell somehow.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. So, so batches and series and stuff. Right. So, so, so this brings up a couple a couple points that I wanted to, to talk about in terms of testing. Number one, that we have a fantastic team of judges that are maintaining the judge center now. Uh, and Brian Shank, um, le- who, who leads the testing pro- process of that, keeping the test pool current so that the cards in it are standard legal. I mean, I'm pulling out these cards that you guys have to look up the Oracle text on because they're very old and not current cards. Uh, and so, so you have to go back and look. And also, like I said, like I mentioned, no active player, non-active player convention. So you can see already some of the evolution just in this – from this just this very first exam. So are you ready to move on to the next question? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Question, the, the next question for you. Does a disintegrated creature pass through the graveyard before being removed from the game? Hey, yes, all creatures pass through the graveyard on their way out of the game. B, it depends. Creature cards pass through the graveyard first, but creature tokens just get removed from the game. C, yes, disintegrated creatures are only removed from the game at the end of turn in which they're killed. D, no, the creature is removed from the game and does not pass through the graveyard. E, A, and C.
0: All right, let me read the uh, printed text of disintegrate. I'm going to go with alpha this time. Uh, disintegrate does X damage to one target. If target dies this turn, it is removed from game entirely and cannot be regenerated. Return target to its owner's deck only when game is over. <laughs>
2: Thanks. I like that last line. Isn't that great?
0: Uh, I'm going to go with it works the
1: same way as it works today. It would be, it, it never goes to the graveyard. Yeah. If if target, if target, I'm, I'm reading the, the, the card text from fourth edition. It says, if the target creature receives lethal damage this turn, remove it from the game entirely. So I'm going to say it doesn't go through the graveyard.
3: I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I think it checks the graveyard first because the the older wording sounds like it would, but I, I I may be totally wrong about that. I don't know how the rules worked back then.
2: Oh, uh, so sorry, Jess. You fell in my trap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the the old, it's it the creature never never uh, it's just happened just like then. It's uh. And another creature is removed from the game and does not pass to the graveyard.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember because I, I think I remember like way, way back in the day, <laughs> I had a a phallid deck with all the little tokens on it, and I'd play and I'd get all the little counters on it, and then someone would cast Wrath of God, and I'd be like, okay, my token, my Thalids are gonna die, but on the way to the graveyard, I'm gonna remove them all and make all them saverling tokens.
2: Oh yeah, and I, have,
1: and I don't even remember if that was actually legal or not.
2: <laughs> okay okay mr thalid what? i'm gonna i'm going to i'm going to give you give you my uh, my favorite question from this exam all right a Sengir vampire oh yeah flying, put a plus one plus one counter on sangir vampire each time a creature is put into the graveyard the same turn the Sengir vampire damage it is given first strike with a finhorn bow
1: oh wow that's ice age isn't it
2: how many scrib sprites one oh will it take yes. to kill the vampire Okay, and I'm not gonna read you the options on this. No, one. you have to figure um, this one out on your own. Uh, I, I think it's nine. Uh, right, cause,
1: cause the the, the is the vampires four four. It's gonna it's, geez, how many scripts rights? You're gonna be DQ'd for having so many scripts rights in your deck. But um, so the vampires gonna gonna hit for four, uh, kill four scripts rights, and it's gonna get the plus one plus one counter. I think is that the wording, or does it get one for each? Uh, one guy each one that it kills whenever a creature no oh so you'd need whenever a creature dies so so you would need if you you'd need 12? 12 12 right or
2: yeah that's correct you you would need 12 scrim sprites to kill that sc- singular vampire if your opponent has a fin yeah him,
1: I, I remember i vaguely remember this question from like an inquest or a scry magazine and it blew my mind
2: yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons I love this question so much because it's floated around a bunch of different places. and and here it is showing up on the arena exam, which um, mm-hmm. part of the part of the reason I find this so interesting is if you have a copy of the arena exam, the first page is you know, a little bit of base uh, is is starts with the questions. The arena judge certification exam one, section one, game mechanics rules are ten questions. It's ten questions in order to see if you are qualified to be an arena judge now, or official actually. So and, is, there, is and, there a difference between an arena judge and a uh, magic judge? Um, like I say, arena was the was their first organized play program. Okay, okay. So they were basically what they wanted was they wanted somebody to be in the store that says, Hey, I'm the rules guy. So, uh, so it, in terms of what it means to be a judge, the very first, few iterations were hey you're just the rules guy. And that's you know, maybe maybe that's how a lot of people get get interested today because they happen to be the one everybody asks the rules to. But that was all they were looking for was somebody to be there to be the answer guy.
1: So is that analogous almost to what a rules advisor is today? Or
2: uh, well, rules advisor today is still much harder to come by than than the arena exam because Page two of the arena exam has all the answers hmm. uh, oh. and the explanations printed on it. Page three is your instructions, your form that you can fill out your form with your name, address, email if you have it, how long you've been playing Magic, how and how well you did on the test. Hmm. And then you mail this in by business replay mail.
1: So,
0: okay, oh, I got, all, I got all ten, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: a
2: couple things. Yeah.
0: Isn't that cinch of vampire answer the same today? Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. No. Okay,
3: I'm pretty sure all three answers are yeah. the same today. Okay, good. Uh, I think yeah. that may have been intentional.
2: Yeah, actually, most of these questions are exactly the same today. Well, this it...
3: this was after the
1: sixth edition rules change, right?
2: Uh, this is no, no this is 1996. Okay,
1: because because I know I know with the sixth edition rules change, they cleaned up a lot of stuff.
2: Yeah, and that. So congratulations you guys are officially qualified to be arena oh. judges. Oh yeah.
3: My mom said I never
2: made isn't thing. isn't that isn't that amazing how hard that was.
3: Now I need I kind of want to mail the thing into the the business reply <laughs> mail and and see what they do.
2: Uh, well as it happens your your odds with that even in the day that that would have been a you know a logical thing to do were not good. Um a lot of paper floating around an office being what it was, a great many certifications were lost that way. Um, and in fact, I, I've talked to quite a number of, of our senior judges, some of whom are on the Hall of Fame ba- ballot that, uh, that are um, – or at least Hall of Fame ballot, ballot eligible, I should say, um, that when they first were certified, first take the test, I was there, they, pay, they passed it. They paid their fee in many cases in order to be able to take the test. Whoever <laughs> certified – whoever gave them the test – Hold on. You said pay uh, a fee? Yes. you Judges were allowed to charge you a fee for the privilege of taking it, taking the judge test.
3: So but the judge you, that was testing you.
2: Yeah, the judge that was testing you. This is not the arena exam. This is kind of so, the, the next iteration through the program. So they wait. were allowed to charge you – and then they were required um, to send in the results of your exam.
1: How much are, were we allowed to charge people? Yeah, that's the important question. <laughs> yeah.
2: um, this is I've, like I've heard numbers ranging from $5 to $20, and I actually did, was feel very fortunate that I didn't have to pay anything. Um, our, our very good friend, Uncle Scott Marshall, said that his, uh, his original certifying test took his money and his exam, and he never – <laughs> it never got sent in so you wow. had to do it again
1: <laughs> Wow that's crazy
2: but... um, I've, heard, I've heard similar stories from Steven Swanger who who's level one never made it in. And uh, I guess when he went to retake it, his testing ju- his testing judge at that point was just, we mm, no we're gonna make you a level two like we should have like you're supposed to be a level two now at this point anyway.
1: Oh whoa, hold um, on, you can you could take a test and go directly to level two back then also.
2: Yeah, there, there were some loopholes in what were allowed because um, I mean his testing judge knew he was supposed to be level one already. so was, there, there's some leeway granted to level threes. Um, that were allowed to test because, again, at that point, only level threes could test. So you had you had to jump through some hoops in order to, to become tested as a as a judge. Um,
1: uh, find a level three seems like one of the harder. Yes,
2: yeah, so by uh, by all means, finding a level three was was kind of a challenge because there weren't very many. Um, you know, if I go back to our ballot, uh, the list of of Hall of Fame eligible judges for you know. Like, through those judges that were eligible to 2008, there's what five. Um, oh, they're not sorted yeah. properly.
1: So, so how? Okay, so if you needed to find a level,
2: a level like right now, we just I see one judge eligible for 2005, and <laughs> so that you can, as you as you can tell, not very many judges available through this time frame in order so- to, to test you
1: so huh. let me ask right now we kind of take it for granted that that l2s can make l1s and you know it might you might have to drive like an hour or two to find a level 2 uh, and maybe a few hours more to find a find a level a level 3 but but they're there they're out there they're around in the early days of the program like how did l3s actually come about
2: you know right like, so um like the uh, Sh- the sheldon generation, Sheldon Mennery's generation of judges, where a lot of them were set up certified at large events like a Gen Con, or they would fly them, pay to fly themselves to a large event where they knew there would be judges available, say a pro tour, and then they would take an exam. As I recall, um, Sheldon and Scott Larrabee both took their exam the same day. And Larrabee came out of the exam a level three, and Sheldon came out a level two. And Sheldon was, wait, what? Whoa, what? I, I could have been, I could have been a level three. Like my level depends on how well I did on this exam. Why didn't anybody tell me this? <laughs> 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 so That's so pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, so yes, your your level could depend on how well you did on the very first exams. They they had a bus tour at one point, according to uh, James Do Hung Lee, who was one of our. Um, early program managers with Wizards Um, and he is I'm I'm not afraid to say that say it even here that he is almost certainly on my going to be on my on my ballot uh, for the first catch up Um, he did so much for the program in terms of taking the chaos that I mentioned and bringing it into um, a manageable form that I I really feel like he deserves to be there even though um, you know we've had discussions on what effect does being having been on the official Wizards roster mean to, to you? But to, to me, there are a few people that have gone so far beyond the basic Call of Duty for, for their role, role with Wizards that, that they certainly deserve to be up there. Um, James Dohung Lee is, is one of my top picks. Uh, second pick would be John Carter. There's been a lot of discussion about John Carter and the many things that he has done already – um, those two guys, I, I feel like, certainly deserve to be there for, for their con- contributions and for the, the organization that, that they brought to the program, if nothing else. Because like, as you can tell, the, the early days of the program were somewhat haphazard. Um, they, like I say, the best term, and I think it was Morrow who used this in one of our recent forum posts, was that it was bootstrapped into existence. And yeah, when you're doing that, you put a few people in places of authority and you start Forming the kernels of the program and establishing what that means, but it, you know who who is it then that steps up and takes leadership and starts providing examples and providing a little more structure to that. And like I say those are two of the guys that are at the top of my list um, right now for for who will end up on, end up on my ballot. And I'll, I'll certainly write a blog post at some point when I when I finalize my, my five entries. It's so hard. Um, and I know so many, so many of these names. I imagine that a lot of these names are not familiar to to judges who have not been on been with the program as long. Is is that a logical assumption?
3: Oh, that's a very logical yeah. assumption. Yes, I, I I don't know. So a lot of these names I know because you already mentioned the thing about being you know a lot of these guys are Watsi employees now. Um, so I know I recognize that, but not from judging from their work with Wizards to the coast. <laughs> Right.
2: Um, like and- – like, uh, I mean Scott Larrabee has been is, has been there a long time, and um, when I first made a through the through the list, he was, OK, I'm going to have to vote for Scott Larrabee. But the, the more that I thought about it, it, the more I've decided I'm not going to put Scott on my ballot, and it's not because I don't think he's an awesome guy. It's not because I don't think he contributed to the judge program. It's because I think that Scott Larrabee belongs in a class of his own. Like, like there should be a Scott Larrabee Hall of Fame and just have Scott Larrabee in it because um, he's just done so much for Magic Organized Play and the Judge community as a whole that, that I I don't feel like it's fair to use – sl- <laughs> to have to use a slot for him, uh, that he belongs in, in kind of his own – slot to me. Um, one of the things – and Scott, if you're out there listening, thank you so much for all that you've done for, for fighting for judges and to make sure that our value is recognized throughout the program. He, he is certainly one of the people that has rec- – like I say, recognized from the beginning the need and the value of an organized judge community. So um, if you see him, make sure you say thank you and try not to take his time because he's an incredibly busy personally if you see him at an event. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, uh, part of the uh, the impetus for this episode was the fact that the Hall of Fame now exists, right? And we have all this big class of... Um, uh, judges, These ketchup ballots. Yeah, that a lot of us had never heard of. Um, and it kind of, we're like, well, we should talk about the judges' yeah. history's past, but we should also talk about the Hall of Fame a little bit more. We talked about it last episode, but we kind of just said, hey, it exists, and level threes can vote, and level threes can be in it. And level three, not even necessarily current level threes, but someone who was level three at some point. But uh, I think we should go a little deeper into the Hall of Fame since we keep bringing it up during this discussion.
2: Sure. Obviously, um, there are some set criteria. Um, I'm not on the committee, but but I feel like they came up with some pretty solid guidelines on it for us to look at and consider as we consider these ballots. Uh, a person's fairness, obviously, being, being fair and impartial is a big part of being a judge. Um, their impact on the program as a whole, community building, dedication, longe- longevity with the program so uh, impact can be measured measured number of ways right and how much did they change things versus uh, and how long have they been around um, yeah I've been around a long time but I don't begin to try to put myself in the ranks of some of these guys that I w- I'm considering for my ballot that now, uh, however
1: it, you are on the
3: ballot though or uh, I will be the eligible
2: I will be eligible for the second catch-up ballot. But again, I, I can say the, the names that are available to choose from—it's uh, just are, are just so many of them are so, so phenomenal. Uh, I've picked, a, you know, I picked out a few for us to talk about if we want. But um, it, I, we've talked a little bit about John Carter already. Um, one of the names that you've probably never heard, because as far as I know, he's not been around for a long time, not been reactive, is Ingo Kemper.
3: I've definitely heard never name? heard of Ingo Kemper. No.
2: Uh, no. John, a long time ago, John Carter, Ingo Kemper, uh, and Ingo Kemper and a couple other guys put together this uh, this exam online called the Delphi exam. And actually, oh. there, there was Delphi exam, Delphi exam one and two.
1: So that's a, that's an Oracle. Yeah. It was uh, uh, pun type thing. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, if you if if you want to look at it that way, um, yeah. <laughs> but. This was, for many people of my generation of judges, the first exposure to any form of a judge exam because we didn't have the judge center. It didn't exist. It, it wasn't even thought of because, like I said, the internet – like I said, the judge program has developed along with the internet. So um, without the – without some ideas there, the, the judge exams were s- strictly confidential. Um, level threes had to keep those – forms printed and they you know, they had to keep them secret and not share them ever and you could not write on, the, on their copy because then you'd be into big trouble with them. Um, hmm. So it wasn't like that was just your copy of an exam. There were three different forms of an exam they might give you and you had to fill out on your answer key. So there were um, so, so things you had that a hard could go copy? wrong. I guess we've dig- dig- digressed a little bit into history again from the Hall of okay. Fame, but but we've uh
0: digressed into Hall of Fame from history, <laughs> so
2: it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but when you were taking those exams, it, as I said, it was a paper sheet. So the problems with a paper exam are many. Obviously, a lot of things could happen to that sheet of paper. Um, people can make notes on it, whatever. But the other problem is, as I mentioned before, we've got a team that keeps questions current now, nowadays. At the at that point, how do you keep a sheet of paper current with the rules? Hmm. And when they printed rules update you know, every couple months, what what's on that arm How accurate is it? Uh, the example that I like to use is on my level two exam, which was back in 2002, <clears throat> a long time ago. Was there's a question on it with on which of the following five cards are standard legal? Hmm. And one of the cards on one of the cards on the list was Ernham Jin. And yeah, that, I it, it was actually was standard legal because it had just been reprinted, but it was not one of the correct answers for the – on the answer key. So I had to talk to my <laughs> testing – so I had to talk to my level three testing judge, uh, Tim Weissman, and he's like, yeah, you're right. That one's legal now. So I got pr- – for that answer being correct <laughs> a, so I say problems with paper, with with keeping paper exams and keeping keeping those exams current
3: those are uh, much faster uh, more quickly fixed today than, than they were back then but they still still do happen occasionally there's like a couple of days periods of times where there's a, a gap there
2: sometimes uh, there's a gap but most of the time yeah most of the time though they pa- actually pause those questions ahead of the change and then make the changes, and then they put them back in circulation once it's accurate so that they're, right. so that, you don't know, have people generating exams and then taking it after the change and getting answers wrong uh, because that's just not – it's just not fair to, to somebody to then go give credit on, on a question online. I and mean, when nobody else is getting credit for it, kind of thing. Yeah.
1: when you when you think about it, that just just keeping exams current is a ton of work. Like even just like if you take an exam online and and it makes reference to a uh, like an ability, you know, in that one section where, it, you know, it's it lists all the abilities out. And they do – they, they add a new ability and they shift the numbering scheme a little bit. Just updating that is a huge amount of work. Right, and just updating
2: not, the, the answers. It, right, the numbers. It's a, it's a big thing. The, for, for a long time in one of my emails, email blocks, I wish I could find my copy of the rules that, that had it in it now. But um, one of my signature blocks on my email blocks was four, like 409.2.c. This rule does not exist. Because they had actually printed that in a rule book, <laughs> uh, so yes, yeah, so, oh, so they, right. they because they wanted the to, keep the to keep the spacing num- in order to keep the numbering consistent. They just left the numbers, and because you know, they deleted a rule out of, I was, I'm pretty sure it was in the trample section of the rules. Uh, so I've, I've been trying to find that again, but uh, in, in my archives of of many many years of magic uh, magic nostalgia.
1: I do remember, I do remember seeing that at some point. Wow.
0: So I I just checked and the easy practice exam has a pool of 361 questions and the hard practice has a pool of 513 questions. And uh, so I'm even ignoring all the other pools, but like somebody has to keep all that up to date. Right.
2: Yeah. One of the, one of the projects that I'm involved with is, I'm part of the part of the team that does the the level three rules update quizzes. And for those of you who are level three that are listening, um, one of the things that you have to do as a level three, or that they want you to do, strongly want you to do as a level three, is each time a new set comes out with new rules, is we have a quiz put out for the L three plus judges. Everybody L three four five doesn't matter. Everybody's expected to take this test, this little quiz. Just just to, just to demonstrate that you're maintaining current knowledge levels on both rules and policy. And it's challenging to make those questions current, uh, keep them restricted to current card sets because we try to keep them uh, as much as possible to, to the current card sets um, standard, if not more. But sometimes you just want to – you're like, man, I wish I could pull out this legacy card because it's got a really cool interaction. But no, that like – if you do that, Brian Schenk is going to say no and deny you and, and deny your question kind of thing. Uh, I don't mean to make it sound like he's hard on you, but
0: um, uh, he's been hard on me.
2: He can be, but, he's like, <laughs> but it is like, but he's like, but the thing is, he's always got a good reason. No, he's always right. That's the problem. <laughs> I've never been
0: right. I think I've reported three questions, and every time I'm like, you're right.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty fair summation of, of most people's uh, experience with Brian. Like so, you say, he's almost always right. <laughs> he's been working on that a long time. He should be.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, but just seeing the – anyway, but just seeing the number of revisions that even a, a pretty standard question go through is amazing. Um, so – hats off to, to brian and the team that, that maintain those because it's just it's nothing short of amazing um what what we can do so in terms of testing we've gone from yeah here's 10 questions uh yeah we we feel like you can tell us honestly how well you did to we have you know thousands of questions that are maintained on you know sometimes uh-huh. sometimes a you know weekly basis depending on when they make rules and policy changes
1: i wonder that that test how many people just wrote in that they missed they missed one question you know they still looked at the answers but they were just like ah they'll never believe that i got all 10 right so i'll just say i missed this one at random
2: right yeah so um and it wasn't like i said it was their first organized play program so it's not like um it's it's like we just need to get somebody out there and start making some connections to people. And in some ways, that's still important today. You know, as, as a level three, when I run into somebody who's interested in becoming a level one, hey, sure, absolutely. Let's let's make sure that you're connected to somebody in the program because that's important. Um, connections so important in the program today. The notion of us of the DCI family um, to come back to Hall of Fame eligible. Uh, judges david vaugin um just an amazing amazing judge um former is l5 it?
0: is Pyre. that how you pronounce it yeah that's yes. the first time i've heard that pronunciation
2: yes i i met david for the first time when i uh went to magic weekend to the one and only magic weekend paris um yeah i'm glad they're not doing that anymore they, they decided that that was not a good idea. Running a Grand Prix and the Pro Tour at the same weekend—that was. <laughs> that yeah, was, that, uh... I mean, Paul Reitzel went and broke the whole thing, didn't he? he was like, "Yes, he, he did, in <laughs> fact, because he was running back and forth between between the, the two events, like top eight, and, and running the other one. Yeah, and they he, were he... the main thing. Main thing was, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll be accommodating for you. <laughs> so. Uh... Yeah, he came up with policy, came with came up with a lot of ideas in terms of family, keeping people connected. Um, he came up with the uh, – he was – well, I don't know if he was the originator of the idea of regional coordinators, but at least, he was at least a big part of it, uh, big part of two-in-ones, uh, helping grow European community. He's still a major tournament organizer for European events, so um, David vojan is definitely going to end up on my ballot Um Speaking of two on ones, that was also a John Carter thing. So, uh, another re- yet another reason that, that John Carter ends up on my ballot. Um, just an amazing guy. All so many you meet so many amazing people being a judge. Um, that's part of why I end up sticking around for so long. Um, you know, when I started as a judge, my first Grand Prix events were you know maybe maybe two hundred players. I, like I've had judged PTQs that were bigger than my first Grand Prix. Um, <laughs> yeah, wow! Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's it was um, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling to see how far things have come in terms of both Magic the game itself and the judge program.
1: So so um, so back back then, uh, let me let me ask uh, you said. D- Grand Prix's you worked those um, now four years ago there was a change level uh, part of that point level ones were required of knowing the the IPG but they were also more likely to get on staff day one uh, at, at Grand Prix's what was what was a Grand Prix like in terms of makeup of the staff, you know, like how it was run differently than than they are today.
2: Um, Well, that's one of the things that that I think is kind of interesting because in some ways we've come full circle from how we started, Um, and I'll come back to that in just a minute. But as far as your first part of the question was staff, and as alluded earlier, level threes were pretty hard to come by at the time. So your level three or higher was um, probably the head judge. Um, My First Grand Prix as a level two was Grand Prix Houston in 2002. Um, Sheldon Menry was the head judge for that event. At the time, he was the only level three that they allowed to head judge a Grand Prix. Um, I believe Colin Jackson was the head judge for my first ever Grand Prix. I think he was level four at the time. Um, He might have been level five even then. But uh, anyway, I say you had one probably fairly high level, maybe another one. You probably had some level twos that were your team leads, and then most of the judges on staff were level one for a grand prix. And coming back to to how we've kind of come come full circle on this was a level one, you know, floor judge would would make a ruling, and in some and then if you didn't like that ruling, you had the right to appeal. Now, when you appealed, something, some, one thing that was different was your appeal would go to the team lead. And if you didn't like the team leads ruling, you could appeal again to the head judge. Now I say we've kind of come full circle on this because now we've at the at a grand prix we've got you know the floor judge makes a ruling if it's going to be requiring a game loss or backup they get grab a level three so it's kind of like like the team team lead check appeal built in to our system now Um, Mm -hmm. distributes the the load a little bit better. I I mean there are practical reasons to do it now more than just. more than just trying to shortcut it and and get to the head judge as quickly as possible. Um, That was one of the original reasons that we went away from the team lead um, appeal process because if they appeal to the team lead, they're probably going to appeal to the head judge anyway. So let's just make this thing move along. So logistically speaking, time became a factor. but now that we've got more level threes available, it's a lot easier to make sure that, Hey, we can make the, that call on the floor is correct. Um, I, I remember so my, sometimes my we, first... punt, we, sometimes we still punt those, but you know, it happens.
3: I, I remember my first Grand Prix as a level three judge. Um, I, uh, forgot that I was a level three judge. And, and I wasn't to have forgotten in the sense that like, it was a thing that's easy to forget. Like I was really happy about it, but, um, I'd be in the middle of doing normal judge stuff, and a judge would come up to me and be like, "Hey, I need to do a backup." And I, my first reaction was like, "Why are you talking to me about it?" <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. And then uh, I was like, "Oh, wait,
3: wait, that's me now." Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: I can do that.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since I since I've been there since since I, I got my level three in two thousand eleven at the last um, last worlds that was. Combine team and individual worlds, and then they had to... They we're not going to do worlds anymore. Uh, and there was a collective... uh and... Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, we're actually going to... Never mind. We're actually going to do those. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, oh, we didn't um, realize... We didn't you, realize you, you everybody liked that so much. Um, so something else that was really different about the Grand Prix then was obviously all the policy was very flexible, shall we say. Um, I have one of the first... Copies of the DCI penalty guidelines that I archived off the website that was around from around 1999. Oh wow, old, but uh, yeah, pretty old. But the thing is, like before this, you were pretty, like I say, still pretty flexible. Um, Toby on his blog a while back wrote some of the most cards that he felt were most influential in terms of policy shaping. And I know he had one of the cards on there that I completely – that, that I, I always agree with, which is Braid's Cabal Minion. I'll let you guys search your memory back. Thanks for what that card uh, actually does. Yeah,
1: on, your, on your upkeep, you have to sacrifice something?
2: On each – at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices an artifact creature land.
0: Okay. It's one of my favorites.
2: It it was – yeah, at the time it was standard legal. It was incredibly powerful. Four mana for a 2-2. Yeah, well, this is what we had to work with. Uh Get off my lawn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh John Finkel wrote recently about the return of Shadow Mage Infiltrator. Remember – I loved his references. Remember that dinosaur you found that you you asked about this, about how good this card was? Yeah, go back and talk to him again. But uh, the problem that this presents is if you miss that trigger, whose fault is it and what do you do about it? There was no policy that was consistent for this. So I've went. I worked at, I've worked at events where the head judge said, if you miss it and it's, and it's your opponent's braids, okay, I'm going to give you a warning. If you miss it and it's yours, that's a game loss because you ought to know how your, game, how, how your card works. Um, I've worked at events where if it was missed – then you could choose one of the permanents that was legal at random. Uh, I've worked at events where the policy was, if it was missed, then the opponent gets to choose what gets sacrificed. Um, how do how you, you guys like those policies for missed triggers? It's
0: <laughs> not exactly
1: a policy.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, that's,
1: that's, <laughs> like, oh, that's, that's
2: eponym. Okay. That's eponym <laughs>
1: those,
0: those, right those there.
2: Those are the options, right? Yeah, so, that's the jar. Right, so yeah, evolution of... Of, uh, of regular rel so <laughs> there used to be you know there used to be five levels of rule enforcement that we had to keep keep straight and how do we handle each of those
1: like five five levels yeah
2: five levels rel what one was... through five so they it was, was just numbered it was it, it was numbered by it was a numbered rel it didn't it wasn't it wasn't a case of Rel professional or rel okay. It was so like, like level so, one, two, three, four, five.
1: So like level one would be F Level two would be a a PTQ. Level three would be a GP. That kind
2: of thing. Uh, level five is professional, obviously.
1: Yeah.
2: So yeah, you can draw some indirect comparisons. Um, not perfect, obviously, because we boiled it down to um, basically competitive for all practical purposes. Competitive and regular rel. For what you need to know, um, professional. Obviously, we're still more strict of no backsies kind of things. But it's not the penalties don't change because it's professional versus competitive. Now we, for, I mean, we work. We worked through that. Of uh, sometimes, they, for a while, our IPG had still had differences between professional and competitive. But um, I think I think the
3: last differences were taken out. There were only a couple of lines left. I think the last ones were taken out in like 2012. Eleven,
2: 2012 Yeah, yeah. It was quite a while. It was still quite a while ago. Failure, I mean,
1: failure to reveal was it, and then I think uh, in the MTR the rules on spectators. Yeah. Is it? I think that's
3: actually still different, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. No, that's still that there. The
2: requirement is still there, but it's not. Um, but I mean, it's not a, a penalty right. issue. It's, right. It's you're not allowed to.
3: The only but, reason I knew about the uh, the the one two three four five thing is because I had to ask people about it because um, I had a a person who seemed like a, a very competent player, but hadn't played in a while at a pre-release. And he asks me, if this after I've been a judge for a couple years, he asks me, he goes, so is this event REL 2 or REL 3? I'm just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I'm so far lost in this conversation. I, I don't know what you are <laughs> Right, yeah. <You're laughs>
2: like, I don't, I don't. So you can tell that that's somebody that's coming back that used to be a competitive player. Uh, right. Probably still thinks that his DCI rating is a numerical figure that has Halo, some, yeah. some 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 meaning, um, and some bearing on whether he had, he gets buys. But huh. uh, <laughs> okay. my, I, my favorite, my I think oh. my favorite thing in this in this old IPG though was is. I used to be able to give a warning for failure to agree on reality.
1: Yes. What is this mythical penalty that I oh, heard so much I about? Love,
2: I love this penalty so much. It solved me so many problems when it was available. Uh, I distinctly remember standing at a, a Grand Prix. Pretty sh- I'm pretty sure it was in New Orleans. And telling two players that as I walked by, I noticed a difference on life pads – this is a textbook failure to agree on reality. They, they have a difference in life totals. So, hey, guys, I see you have a difference in life totals. I need you to come to a decision on what's correct or I'll have to give you both a failure to agree on reality.
0: But how does that even solve the problem? Like. You still well,
1: well, I mean, they still—they have to work it out. They still
2: have right? to work it out because, because when because under threat of warning, they can immediately come to come to a consensus on uh, what on what the life total
1: should be. Yeah. Amazing <laughs> how that works. Yeah. Now I'm not saying you got to be right about your life totals. I'm just saying that if you don't agree, I'm gonna have to bust some kneecaps <laughs> or something.
2: Yeah that's, yeah, that's about the size of it. I, it's it's. <laughs> Kind of similar to something I was telling, actually, was telling Brian recently, that it's amazing now how when you go to talk to players on an appeal, the, the minute the head judge shows up, the stories become clear. I don't. It's not because somebody is suddenly changing their story. It's because oh, I'm under pressure and I need to remember exactly. And hey, hey, look, I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how, how much difference it makes when that head judge shows up. I, I don't care if it's a level one judge that shows up to the table or Ricardo wearing his burgundy shirt. Players have have I've seen players suddenly come to an immediate agreement the minute the head judge shows up on yes, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah.
1: So so failure failure to agree on reality was to cover things like when we had different life totals, or was it also included things like we can't agree as to whether or not I've laid a land this turn? Was that Yeah,
2: so yeah, so if you started arguing about something that had or had not happened, like playing a land, yeah, that's also a failure to agree on reality. Um so, so then you had then you get a, a warning for your first offense. Uh yeah, that's, it's the second time then you get a
1: now, warning. Now what if no what if I was right? Okay. So so CJ uh, Bitty Kitty and Milkshake are playing and Biddy Kitty thinks Milkshake is at 10 and Milkshake thinks uh she's at 15 uh and they end up it ends up being 15 is the correct number. Does Milkshake get uh the penalty or just Biddy Kitty? Uh
2: yeah yeah you're stretching my my ancient policy knowledge there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious because it's like it's like I would think that if if we fail to agree on reality, but I'm the one who's actually matching reality. If I
2: decide that somebody was actually wrong. Um, kind, of yeah. the, kind of the kind of equivalent of our game rule violation. At yeah. Uh, let me scroll through here because like i say you're testing my knowledge of
1: i if, mean you can just uh, make up an answer we're not going to be able to disagree with you uh
2: you could always somebody somebody would correct me i know there's some, there's another dinosaur out there listening i don't know who who but uh, we're not extinct contrary to popular belief Uh hmm.
1: You could, well, you could do what we do and just say it and then wait for someone to correct us in the
2: email. Well, yeah. Let's well, let's see. Here's misrecording a deck list uh, and at match loss. Uh, third lo- third, triple warning and ejection. Oh, misrecording a deck list limited. So if you make three mistakes on deck lists, you can be ejected for doing that repeatedly. Um, illegal deck list, um, not applicable for the base level. Hey, look, this regular rel – um, level two or three match loss. So, you know, you want a match loss for your for your deckless problem? Um, uh... Seems totally reasonable to me.
1: Yeah, this is competitive two at a giant.
2: Let's see, uh... <laughs> yeah, we, we, used to, we used to have to decide whether there was a pattern for marked cards or not. Um...
0: Although we still kind
2: of do, we well we <laughs> just can't. Yeah, we kind of do, but that's specifically an upgrade rather than trying to. We had I remember having discussions about is this a pattern for it to you or not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, failure to provide method to track life total used to be a penalty.
1: Wow, that sh- whoa! We need to bring that one back because I'm tired of <laughs> finding people writing life totals on match slips. With my red pen, I was I was at just I was at an event this weekend, and uh, I was having to write a penalty in a in a blue pen, and the one of the floor judges came up and he's just like, "Up, oh, you don't have your red pen." Tisk tisk, and I was like, "I don't know what happened to it. I I had it this morning, and then it just disappeared. And then two tables down from me, judge, I go, yeah, I heard you talking. I have your pen." Mm-hmm. I, I think <laughs>
0: I'm yeah, try actually,
2: and... out of all of these policies on here, I actually don't see anything that has to do with uh, a basic game rule violation.
0: <laughs> no. Well, Brian, what I heard from you just there was a uh, theft of tournament materials. Oh. And I hope you disqualified those
1: people. What?
0: For stealing your pen.
1: I I guess I I should have. <laughs> I guess I, I should have.
0: You heard it here on Judge Gas.
1: I guess I should have DQ'd the guy for taking my pen. Maybe maybe one of these days. <laughs> have I told Have I told on the air the 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 cheese puff story? I'll I'll tell that later at some point. But but we.
2: we. Oh, and also also remember to keep your cards elevated above the table because if you don't do that, then uh, um you know you can end up getting warnings and and game losses. So at least at least under this old IPG.
1: What was the infraction? failure to keep your
2: cards above the table failure to keep cards elevated above the table was the infraction
1: wow. there's some really specific
2: keep, stuff Keep your hands Super above specific. the
1: table
0: boys you know i have a big um
2: uh, yeah and yet and yet you don't have the policies for the things that happen all the time like mistriggers uh, uh basic game rule violations so so um, i say things have changed a lot in terms of the specific particularly in terms of policy and knowing what what to do in any given situation, our policy is not perfect. It can't be because it would have to be a bazillion pages. And we went through some some years where our policy books were very long, trying to keep track of many of these things. And then we realized, wait, that doesn't make any sense either. So I actually think that what Toby has done in terms of reworking this and making it fairly fairly streamlined has served us very well. And I, I, when, when he comes – when it comes time for, for ballots, I think that he will almost undoubtedly end up on a lot of ballots um, for, for what has been done there because um, you only need to browse through a few iterations of, of policy in order to see the differences there and how much has changed. But the fact that we have policy, again, comes back to a couple guys like John Carter uh, and James Dohung Lee. And putting some structure in place so that we would end up with standard policies. So uh, that's why I say those two guys are definitely going to end up on my ballot. Um, not to not to beat my dead horse, but hey, if you're out there listening, make sure you put those two guys on your ballot if you have one.
3: It sounds almost like the um, this policy was a bunch of people sat around and said, "Hey, what are we most afraid of people doing?" And not what do players do all the time.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that. Well, of of it's a card game how do we keep people from cheating right um, so wasn't that that it, was a big thing though wasn't it it cheating it, um and it's not even so much that i feel like there were cheating was so much more rampant at the time um it was just that was the, that was the bigger fear um i mean we still have some policies and how to handle those and in things that try to prevent and keep that from happening keep cheating from happening but it, it Again, that was the fear of perception. There was a lot of perception in the early years of the game. I mean, when you look back at the art for unholy strength in the first years, right? It had the pentagram in the background, and we can't have that anymore, Um so there, there, there was a constant uphill battle of perception in the early years for the game, and I think that that's probably a big factor in policy. And again, I was not involved in making these decisions, so I'm probably stretching the truth a little bit. But um, if you look at it, then that's what it looks like. Um, obviously, there were some very high-profile incidents of cheating. Um, Mike Long will probably never make people's Magic Pro Tour Hall of Fame ballots as a result of one of those incidents. Um, Cardin Lap. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, I'm sure you can Google Mike Long Cardin Lap and find out what I was what I'm talking about. Um, but the, really, those incidents were you know, they happened, but they happen now. I just don't I, I don't know that the incidence rate was much higher. Um, one thing that was. Probably more problematic at the early events was I, I've heard from a couple of players that that uh, a couple of the early pro tour and grand Prix, there was a bar open very close to the event. Um, unclear for the for me for, as a as a listener to the stories on whether the pro tour was open bar for competitors as in just go get what you want, or open bar as in you can go pay them but I have heard reports of players being very drunk at the first couple of pro tours.
1: <laughs> well, I don't see how that's a problem at all. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Things, things change, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't allow that so much anymore. Um, It's a matter again. It's a I think it was a matter of what the concerns were, and then what's really a problem. As as time goes on, we begin to realize, okay, what's really a problem, and what what are we really dealing with most of the time?
1: Cool. Uh, so I've got I got a kind of a. Off, off the wall question for you. So I've seen a photograph of an old staff photo where you were uh on staff with Mark Rosewater.
2: Yes, okay. that's correct.
1: And and he has made and he has made some comments about like, oh well I was a judge at this event, and I was a judge at this event. Okay. Uh was was Watsi staff because I mean he was an employee, was Watsi staff Also allowed to be judges or did they have judge levels or
2: Uh, Mark Rosewater at the time was a level four judge. Uh, He was also, as you correctly guess, he was an employee of wizards, but he was at the time a level four judge. Um, And his particular um, focus at that at that event was that he spent a lot of time over in the feature match area, being a level four judge, and of course being Mark Rosewater. He's had obviously an important role in Magic for a long time. Um, so I mean, I mean, he's certainly eligible for ballots as well. Um, I, again, he's he's another person that I feel like has his own level of recognition. And not that he didn't contribute to the judge program because he certainly was a part of it and part of its development. But I feel like he's got his own level of recognition. And and I I feel like this needs to be the, this is, and this is my opinion, obviously, that the Magic Judge Hall of Fame should be focused on the judges and those people who have dedicated themselves to the judge program. In some specific way, yeah. um, for the, and for those that are that were employees, like I say, those that I feel have, in my opinion, have gone above and beyond what was expect was what was expected for their role. Um, yeah. So you,
1: you you touched on on something a little bit that I want to uh, mention also. Now they've changed uh, who can vote for the Magic Judge Hall of Fame a little bit. So before it was level three judges only. Uh, however, they have uh, when they announced when they announced it there was some feedback that they got uh you know saying well you know the the pro tour hall of fame uh, some players some judges some WOTC employees all of those pe- you know various people have uh, a ballot that they can vote for whereas with the magic judge hall of fame it was just judges so why not why not players seems weird and right. so they they opened they opened the scope up to also uh pro tour uh, members of the the Magic Pro Tour Hall of Fame, and that and that struck me as kind of weird. That in, in in a sense, because when looking at like the criteria uh, of of the stuff, you know, fairness, impact, community community dedication, I don't necessarily know if players see or care about those those criteria at the same level of which of which we do like like impact on the on the judge program you know is a pro tour player going to see that or the community building is a pro tour player going to see that or are they really just going to see the interactions that they have at the pro tour or on day two of a grand prix so i thought that i've I don't know. I feel I feel that that's a little a little odd. It's almost like with with the Pro Tour Hall of Fame, you know, you've got the Watsi, you P know, the playing of the game that they do, the articles that they're writing. That stuff is all very public and very out there in the open. Whereas with the uh, with the Judge Hall of Fame, kind of the only in a lot of ways the people that are paying attention are the judges. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I feel like the – and this may be, again, maybe my perception. Um, I feel like the Pro Tour Hall of Fame players have a lot better connection to the judge community than a great many players do. And they are also unhesitant to give their opinion to the high-level judges. Um, I know that we've had a number of policy changes come about directly as a result of interactions and discussions with those players. So – I, th- I think a number of them – I'm not going to say all of them, but but at the very least, a number of them have very good connections and, and working relationship with the judge program uh, in general. Uh, and you can see it somewhat on the you know, the recent events with – Patrick Chapin discussing with, with Ricardo on uh, whether or not he should receive a game loss for, for failing to reveal off his, his a Johnny activation it, he had some very good discussions um, there's a good relationship and Ricardo acknowledged this in his article about yeah we can continue this again later and we had good discussions about it so I, I feel like um, like there's probably a, a good reason there Um the, those those players are respected for a reason, and, and they all made it in to the to the pro tour hall of fame for a reason, or so. I, I I'm okay with with that decision to include them.
3: Same way, I, I agree. I think that while Brian's concern is relevant, that some players may not understand. I feel like there are definitely players who do have an understanding and have felt the benefit and impact of some of these judges and would like to be able to nominate some of them for the Hall of Fame. And it's reasonable that some of them should be able to. I don't know.
0: I'm kind of on Brian's <laughs> side because uh, a lot of what the Hall of Fame is for is for stuff you do behind the scenes. And these players, they, they're they not reading the IPG updates. They're not
1: reading, you know, they're not do. they're not. Well, they're probably, they're prob- they're, re- they're- they're, I think I think that a lot of the pro players are are reading the IPG, but they're not necessary eh, I I think they're, they're some of them are putting inaccurate
3: for players at a high level of magic play like they definitely read the IPG
1: yeah because they they want to know I mean if you, if you just look at like Chapin Chapin's arguing to to, to Ricardo he was using very specific terminology. Uh, he was using IPG specific yeah, terminology using
0: it incorrectly.
1: Like, so <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. But, I mean, but, that he was he was using it correctly to for the for the goal he wanted to achieve. Yeah,
0: well, that's not. <laughs> um, but I'm not even talking about the IPG specifically. I'm talking about you know all that behind the scenes stuff, right? Like, uh, Toby was just the quickest one that came to my head, but.
2: Um, yeah, right, I mean that's like, just one, that's, like I I say, that's just, that's just like I say that's just one example yeah. that, that I can pick up of recent events. Like I say, I know there have been other other interactions with between uh, the high level judges and and, and Hall of Fame players. Um, I don't need to say any more than Kibler before I'm sure you guys can think of a bazillion things that he's that he's done as well. Um, like I said, those players have been around high level judges. A lot. It takes a lot of points in order to, of pro tour points to get there, and so you still see and end up having a lot of conversations with a lot of different judges. Um, one of the things, one one item that I can see is that then uh, those players also have interaction with judges around the world. So there are a lot of judges on this on this list of of eligible candidates that um, I mean I kind of recognize the name. But because they were, you know, like like um, like Mark Brown, he was in Australia. He had had a had a huge impact on Australia. But it was not until 2011 until I had some interaction with him. So now that's
1: um, that's a that's a fair that's a fair point. But uh, I, I mean, I kind of look at it as I'll, I'll throw out, you know, I'll say, you know, big big projects recently the uh, the Magic Judge Code of Conduct and the exemplar program are both very very large uh very very large very very high visible things within the judge community but outside the judge community uh, i don't know if people know anything about it or even care
2: yeah, well I, what i what i can say about that is is my local texas judge for or, uh, local texas magic forums have have been talking about those things and it, it doesn't really directly affect the players as you're saying so uh, why would they discuss it? Eh, it's still it's still Magic community news, so those. It, it it I feel like it's followed. Um, okay. So
0: I mean, my honest final opinion in the end is uh, how many people are in the Player Hall of Fame. Like in the end, it doesn't really matter. So how many are in? The
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a. Like I say, I think it's a. I think it's a nice nod. Yeah, like in
0: but, the um, end-
2: I know that I know there are, I know there are judges that have um, Magic Pro Tour Hall of Fame ballots. So I feel like it's kind of a, a kind of a fair kind of a fair exchange.
0: Um, all right, so I think I think we've covered almost any everything. However, were there any other specific people you wanted to talk about? And I'm going to ask about one. Um,
2: uh, yeah, there's there's one other person that I like to mention, and that, that's uh, Beth Morrison. I, I, I believe I mentioned her earlier, Bethma. Um, let like me say she did a lot of early writing. Um, I think. I, I liked um, I liked David Liford Smith's summary of her of that she practically invented answering rules questions. She she was the first net rep and, and equivalent and, and put things started putting the program together in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, this, it, she's it, it, she's it, it, kind of interesting.
1: I'd never heard of her. She's before, she's one like of those, the ballots. She's had come
2: up. Uh, yeah, she's one of those people that's worn an awful lot of hats around. The community and has done a lot of different things. Um, again, I don't think she's going to end up making making it onto my ballot, but I think it's more just because she's done so many different things. Uh, she's been a big asset to the magic community as a whole. Um, and, I, and I wanted to just make sure I mentioned her again as a result of that commitment to the Magic community as a whole. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to, to say, yes, she ought to be there as a Magic Judge Hall of Fame entry, but um, she's definitely deserving of recognition for her, her many contributions.
0: I wanted to ask you about our boy, Matt Tabak, who is a, a former Level 3 judge himself. I don't know. He's been on our show a few times now.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm actually a big fan of Matt Tabak. I, I think he's a really smart guy. I think oh, he's yeah. done a great job with the, uh, with the rules, and he's an awful lot of fun. Um, I didn't have, to be fair though, I didn't have any interactions with him until uh, Grand Prix Atlanta in 2012, I think.
1: Oh, was so, that the one? That was the one that he was, uh, uh, the VIP, wasn't it?
2: I believe so.
0: Yes. Yeah, that, was, that was a yeah. prelimin joint, wasn't it? uh yeah.
1: yes yeah you were judge
0: manager
2: no yeah he was no. yes he was yes you were because uh daniel kedyshevsky kim warren and i were doing two on ones and we we were all like oh. why isn't he level three?
1: Oh, okay yeah that was that was <laughs> me yeah. no i remember
0: <laughs> all three of us <laughs> well i guess i some things i won't say but i remember
2: that
1: why you were judge manager uh <laughs> yeah that was okay I, c- I couldn't remember whether that was the the Atlanta before or or after, but yeah, he was he was one of the ones that that I knew that he was going to be uh, uh, a favorite, so I I kind of suggested that to the to the TO. Yeah, I was hoping you'd
0: have young Tayback stories, but. If you didn't mean no, uh, was uh, a little too
2: unfortunately, late. <laughs> unfortunately, I'm not the right person to ask about uh, young Tayback stories.
3: He won't tell you anything. He's like the Joker, <laughs> keeps changing his origin. So, if we if we find somebody that could tell us old, uh, uh, young Tayback stories, can we title that episode Way Back Tayback? Yes, <laughs> if we can. <laughs> <laughs> I like a whole episode just dedicated
0: to talking about one person's past without that person on the show. <laughs>
2: I'm sure I could. I'm sure I could dig somebody up that they can give you that information if you want. But it might that, take. Might it might take me some time.
3: I I would very much like that. I don't know if that would be a good episode or not, but I would enjoy it. Yeah, I would enjoy it.
2: <laughs> you hear that, Matt? I'm digging up back background information on you. Matt, didn't. be afraid. <laughs> be very afraid. Nice.
0: So, do you have any other people you want to talk about, or any other stories from? Uh, as you called it before the um, show, I think you said the not so good days.
2: Um. There's one other person that I would, would like to mention that I really doubt is going to make a whole lot of ballots, but one person that I think is it was very important um, was John Shannon. He was uh, one of the earlier Level 3s. He had judged uh, quite some number of Grand Prix. I think it was 4 or 5. Let me search here. Um, 1, 2, three, four, five. Uh, it looks like five Grand Prix events, but um, obviously he was around some before that. But uh, in the days when level three judges were you know kind of hard to come by, and they they were kind of mythical beasts, if you will, they were kind kind of uh, un- a lot of them seemed unapproachable. In those times, John Shannon was the first level three judge that really seemed approachable and seemed that. It- yeah, a, a solid mentor to me as I was coming on, and I certainly don't know um, how I would have felt about judging had, had he not been willing to take some time with, with me as one of his team members even and just spend some time and talk to me. So um, thanks to John Shannon, and I, I, I think if you do not know John Shannon, you're definitely missing out. Um, if you don't know anything about him right now, he's currently an instructor at West Point that should tell you something about him, about him right there, uh, about, <laughs> him, about his leadership skills and presence, presentation, mentor, mentorship abilities. Um, just a fantastic guy all around. So thanks, John, if you're listening.
0: Yeah, you think a lot more people listen than, than do. <laughs> <laughs> and, if
2: you're right. not, and if you're not, I hope somebody tells you.
3: Yeah, no, that might happen. <laughs> Awesome. This is this has been an extremely informative episode for me yeah. about judge yeah. history. The people on the nomination. That, like I said before, I don't know most of them. I think I might have been lucky to pull out five that I knew from their judge work.
2: Um, yeah, th- there are too many names on here for me to 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 talk about uh, to, to to talk about all of them on one show. They're just too many. Um, one person. I guess there's one person that I should mention that I haven't mentioned yet, and that's Juan Del Campari. Um, he was one of the early. Uh, early posters on Usenet forums and on the judge mailing list. One of the names that I start, came to recognize very early on as an expert and, and um, resource online. Um, if I say, I can run down this ballot of, of names that I, that, I, that I tagged, of people that I recognized uh, Paul Barkley, Eric Bess, Mark Brown, Alfonso Buena, John Carty, Charlie Catino. I mean, you've, you've been seeing these names posted and going back and forth. Um, Juan, who I just mentioned, Nat Fairbanks, um, T.O. Head Judge, um, Dan Gray. Those two guys were the same – cut for the same cloth as Mighty Mike Guptel. Um, I don't know how many people have caught that, but uh, when I, I always refer to him as Mighty Mike because that was the, the name he was he was referred to all, all, all a long time ago on the uh, Usenet forums was Mighty Mike Guptel. Um, Usenet. Oof. Like I, say, I, I, like I said, it's been a long time. Uh, <laughs> there's a name on here, Theophile Gimelo. It, Um I'm not sure I'm even saying that right because his, his name, as you'll see on the forums, and he's legally changed to T Mad Hatter. Um, Mark Hernandez, pro, pro Tour player, also a judge. Um, Ingo Kemper, I talked about a little bit. Scott Larrabee, James Lee, I see. Beth Moe, um, Eustace Renault, Morrow obviously knows John Shannon, David Vojan. Um, There's so many names on this list that stand out to me on this list as people who've really affected the program in some way, and I've only got five slots. (laughs) And I say I I, I I know I'm eligible, but I can't even begin to put myself in the same playing field as some of these people. Okay, wow.
3: All right, heck okay, yeah, again, thank you very much for coming on here and explaining. Like, I really appreciate episodes where I feel like I learned a whole lot, and I feel like I, this is one of those episodes. So,
2: I'm sure it's, it's, I, this what's one of my favorite topics to talk about magic and judge program. Uh, obviously, considering my, my amount of time that I've been doing this. Um, so if I, I'm always happy to come on, answer any questions, discuss things if you if you got questions, um, by all means, come find me. I, let me say I can, I can talk a long time on these topics and uh, I've, I've, I've been around for a long time and I'll probably hear, I'll probably hear some stories from people that I, I haven't heard before. Like the, the names that I rattled through were only those names on the first catch-up ballot. Um, I mean I've got what, four highlighted already from the second catch-up ballot that are like just huge to me we've got toby elliott damian Hiller, ingrid lynn john scott marshall coming up on the second catch-up and that's adding to the names that we already of whoever doesn't make it from the first ballot <laughs> it's just mind-blowing um these people that it's, there's so many people that i've i've gotten to know through this through the judge program through the years and um oh yeah and ricardo's on, the, on that ballot also scrolling down a little bit farther uh, just um we are where we are because we're standing on the shoulders of giants, and people have stepped up and found that found a role in the program, found something that they could do to help out. So, if, just because you haven't found yours yet, doesn't mean you won't.
0: So, David, do you work with any other projects? I know you mentioned the um, Level Three. Uh... Uh,
2: I've been I, I, I'm kind of a float between a lot of things. I, I'm one of the editors on the article projects. I'm uh, one of the forum moderators, um, which thank goodness the, that's a, a fairly lightweight job for all practical purposes. Um, really impressed with this judge community as a whole. So to all of you out there, well done. Uh, I appreciate the tone of that most of the posts take on the judge forums and in, in keeping things on topic um, more or less. I mean all things eventually mentioned customer service, but that's <laughs> part of the job, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I've also worked with uh, various projects around instruction. Um, there's a level three judge Facebook study group that I'd like to resurrect at some point. Um, I've had my own project working on ret- tracking judge history, but I'm about to re- kind of retire it. I've my my own blog has kind of taken up some of that slot. So, um,
1: do you want to plug that
2: blog? I'm going sure I'll plug plug that blog here. It's uh, time distortion. Is the name of my blog. It's on the Magic Judge blog portal. You'll find it there. Um, I'm sure they'll put it in the in the show notes. We will. Um, obviously, I mentioned I had just moved, so I'm kind of still in transition for a lot of things. But my my goal, and um, thanks, Bears, for your blog posts on this and inspiring people to set goals. But my goal is to this is to start writing at least one post on there every month. I'm not quite as ambitious as he is. I really don't know how he pulls off a a blog post every week um, of the length that he does. So um, one of my exemplar nominations for the next round. Uh, I'm not, and I'm not ashamed to to say so publicly. Cool.
0: Um, Brian, you just wrote the you wrote the word Vegas under news and I don't, what it's coming is that the news
2: it's coming yeah it's going to be historic Coming.
3: uh yeah I think I still need to pre-register for that event holy crap yeah
2: Yeah, I think yeah you should go register there's only uh, oops let me hit refresh there are only uh, 6,273 players registered so far
3: yeah yeah I don't know that so so big secret about that that number does not update automatically that well, does not, not surprise like, me at all. It's
1: not like the big counter of the national debt where it's just going up, you know, every second. Click, no, click, no. click, there
3: is, uh, there is a person who has to go in and look at the total number of registered players and then go in and update that number on the website. Um, that person's name...
2: Uh, is just... Uh, oh.
3: <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not me. Um, it's, uh, it's Eric Levine, I'm pretty sure, um, <laughs> who is... Who is uh, He's one of those people – Eric Levine is one of those people where I'm waiting for his ballot to come up, um, but it's going to be a long time for now.
2: Yeah, his day will come.
3: Um, but yeah, I need to go register for Vegas now that I think about it. There's only like 3,000-something slots left in this event.
1: Right, and if you don't, uh, the yeah, sooner so, you so you'll be – So
2: you'll be waiting until the 2018 ballot for Eric Levine.
1: Yeah, what were you saying, Brian? Yeah, I was, I was saying the I was about to do like the a limited resources style plug of the sooner you pre-register, the more reward tiers you're eligible to win at.
3: No, no, I'm already eligible for that because I already sent them the self like self-addressed post like postcard thing. And, uh, <laughs> but you did register? <laughs> I wasn't sure I was going. <laughs>
2: I guess that's a fair <laughs> argument. Wow.
3: Like, no purchase necessary? I could win, like, a box or something?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> wait, wait. You sent in your name and number for no purchase necessary? Yeah, did... that's what he's saying. Nobody does that. <laughs> Apparently Jess does. Oh,
2: my goodness. I actually considered I was planning to. I was that's planning a... to, and then I just read the... That's and then such I just an read old person
3: thing to do. It's <laughs> <laughs> <that's> not... like <laughs> grandmas are the only people that do that. Well, what was it you said you read?
2: I was I was going to do that until I, and then I realized oh they're giving this away incrementally I thought they were going to give it away all, like all at the end so it was like oh, I've got a couple months yet that I can a couple weeks yet I can send them my post oh wait too late oh right. yeah like you, you you might
3: as well not at a certain point I considered going through the list of selected staff and just sending in postcards for all of them <laughs> <laughs> you <knew> they didn't. <laughs> because because they can't like they can't pre register to play. But there isn't actually anything in the terms and conditions preventing the judges from uh, from being in the in the contest. So I, I considered it. I just didn't know if that would fly or not. I because it also requires you to uh, to, to give them your uh, your favorite magic card. I was just going to like put judges familiar for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how they know it, it would be fake because it's clearly uh, uh, bear cub. It has
2: to be bear cub. It,
1: oh, bear cub. Or, yeah, Bright. But only 12 of them.
0: All right, guys. We got to wrap this bad boy up. All right. If the listeners out there would like to email us, they can at judgecast at gmail.com. I almost gave out my personal email. (laughs) Uh, I guess you can email me at cjtrader at gmail.com if you want to. uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. And...
1: And rec. and rec dot and rec dot games dot cards magic dot yeah. strategy. And Facebook like us. Facebook.com slash judge cast. Uh,
0: David Hibbs, is there any contact info you want to put out there?
2: Um, I say the best way to, to to get me is either through the uh, the contact forms on, on Judge Apps or through my through my blog. Watch for my blog posts. Um, you can always also find me on Facebook. Um, I wouldn't be on Facebook if it wasn't for the judge community. So, so go ahead and look me up there if you really want to. Send me a note. Say hi.
0: All right. Cool. All right. Well, thanks you once again for being on. And thank you all, our listeners, for listening.
1: My name is Cedar Trader, and I keep it fair.
3: I'm Jess Dunks, and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman and
1: I keep it on a 28.8K modem. 2400 baud.
0: All right, Brian. So we're not going to get away without you telling that cheese puff story before we wrap this episode up.
1: Okay. Okay. So it is. uh, I want to say uh, GP Charlotte uh, earlier earlier this year. Um, I am on the Super Sunday series, sealed spectacular whatever the top eight. Okay. So we're basically it's just a few judges. The hall is. Cleared out except for the top eight and a few spectators and like three or four random judges. Uh, Jason Flatford has this big giant tub of cheese balls sitting on the stage. You know, and when I say a giant tub, it's probably about like two and a half feet tall, about a foot of, you know, the kind that you get at Costco.
0: A wide variety of them,
1: yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm talking to magic players. Of course, you know what this giant tub of cheese balls is. So, we're sitting over there. Uh, uh, the The head judge is watching the event, and I'm talking to um, to Jason Flatford about uh, some stuff that he could do for uh, the, his uh, Judge Jeopardy thing that he did for the conference that was at that event. Um, and while we're sitting there talking over there at the stage, we see a guy just walk up to the jug of cheese balls and make a little pouch in his shirt pocket. Mm okay or make it make a pouch in his shirt you know like grab it lift it up a little bit and he stuck a napkin in it and he just reaches his hand in and gets one handful two handfuls six handfuls total and meanwhile flats and i are just watching this just completely floored at this guy and and uh and flats is like is that guy taking my cheese balls and i'm like yeah yeah, I think he's taking his cheese balls. (laughs) And and I look at him, and I go, theft of tournament materials? And he goes, run it. So I start to to get up, and he he stops me, and he's like, wait, 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 wait. You're smiling too much. And so I have to stop, kind of slap my face, get the smile out. And I go over to him, because he's gone back over with his kangaroo pouch of cheese balls. He's watching the top eight match again. And... (laughs) And so I just tap him on the shoulder and I go sir can I speak to you away from the table please and he goes he goes over a few few feet and I go sir I'm going to have to ask you you know where you got the cheese balls from where you got the cheese balls from <laughs> and he goes he goes what and I go and I point to his his kangaroo pouch and I'm like the cheese balls where did you you know where did you get them and I'm trying very hard to be to be serious and he, he says, oh, the judge said I could have some. And suddenly, I'm like, whoa, mm, no, you know, it's, now this is, I'm like, oh, really? Which, because that's like the typical thing that players say. It's always the judge said. And I go, oh, really? Which judge? And he goes, the bald one, and points back over to the stage, and there's Zwanger looking at me and just kind of waves. And it was like, at that point, I couldn't hold it anymore. And I just start cracking up, and <laughs> and the top eight, uh, the top eight match. It was I guess we hadn't moved far enough away. They also heard that was go- what was going on, and they just start busting out laughing as well. And it was it was a good chuckle, but I got to, It was a good chuckle, but I got to, I got to utter the phrase, "Sir, I'm going to have to ask you where you got the cheese balls from." In the most serious tone of voice I can muster.